Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We're continuing the series on the book of Mark, and I'm really excited about it because I, I love actually walking through books of the Bible because I believe God wants to transform us through his word. It's the renewing of the mind, and, and we get familiar with scriptures, and we see things that sometimes when you do topical messages like I have done um, in the past, you miss some of these nuances or you miss some of the, the underlining truths that are in scripture. And so last week we learned from John the Baptist, lessons about John the Baptist, and it was really challenging to us. This week we're gonna be learning some lessons from Jesus, which is the best person to learn a lesson from in the Bible. And so we're gonna be stepping into that and we're gonna have a lot of fun today. But I'm gonna be looking at three significant things that happened to Jesus in this passage. Last week, we, we saw the, about John the, John the Baptist in the desert. He's, a, he's one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, speaking of Jesus. Jesus comes and, and he, he, he is baptizing him. And today we pick up from the baptism and what we can learn from this passage of scripture, verses nine through 14. And so let's begin reading this today. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. God was speaking to his son. At once the spirit sent him, speaking of Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, the angels attended him, and after John was put in prison, so this is John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So these, these are very, very important things and lessons we're going to learn from Jesus today because you can learn a lot of lessons from a lot of really good people in the world. And, and you can look up to certain people, sports stars or, or maybe other leaders or, or pastors or, or moms or dads or other people in your life. You can, you can look up to them and you can look to their character. And, and even though, it, and even though it, you may not want to be exactly like them, there are good things that you can anchor yourself Two, you know, I, I like to look at men like, like characters like John, John Wayne. Anybody ever like a little, like a little John Wayne? I, I, watch, I watch some John Wayne over spring break, and, and I like the characters he plays. I know he's not like that at all, so you don't need to write me. I know John Wayne isn't the guy in the movie. I know that. But the characters, the persona, the, 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 the leadership, the things that, that, there's just something cool about John Wayne, and we all know that. So anyway, we anchor ourselves. You know, I, I'd like to maybe be like that person or what I think a real man looks like. I want to be that real man. What I think a real woman looks like. I, maybe you look up to a woman in your life or, or what is real success, and that's what we strive to, or, or what is real, what does a real church look like? So we try to find churches that, that we like, and we have these ideas in our head. For the most part, we anchor our lives to some goals, that we want to be like this person. We want to achieve something like individual, but, but what, what I... But what you don't realize, a lot of those people, there are things about their life you don't know. You just see the, the good things. But the wonderful thing about Scripture is that we have a perfect example of who we can anchor our life to. 
So just so you're aware, as you look into the Word of God, as we continue to walk through this book of Mark, and and you begin to read in other areas of the Bible, you need to know something today. The Apostle Paul was not perfect. You need to know that Moses was not perfect. Esther wasn't perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. Isaac wasn't perfect. The children of Israel definitely were not perfect. Mark, the writer of this book, was not perfect. Now, they have qualities about their lives that that we we want to emulate, but there is only one person who we can model our lives completely and totally after, and that is the person and the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. And everything Jesus did was incredibly intentional. He said that he only did what he saw the Father do. He only spoke what he heard the Father speak. Everything he said, he meant. He never said something and said, actually, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. He never did that. Jesus never apologized for anything that he did. He never apologized for anything that he ever said. Now, you might be in a relationship where the other person is like that, but it's not because they're like Jesus, I promise you. It's because they they have some issues. So anyway, Jesus didn't have to. Why? Because he was perfect in everything that he did. And so I, I want to look at these three significant things that happened to Jesus. And what can we learn from these three incredible happenings that we just read? The three incredible things that we just read about that happened to Jesus were these three. It was his baptism, which we think, wow, that was that. We saw that. We experienced that. His father affirmed him, publicly affirmed him. And the third one, he was tempted by the devil. So what can we learn? If he was our example, what can we learn from these three things? So I want to take some time um, this morning and ask the question, why? I, I love reading scripture and saying this, why? Why does that matter? Why did that happen? And what does that have to do with me? And so the first one, why? was Jesus baptized. Reread this, that Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And the message of John the Baptist was very simple. It was what? Repent and be baptized. We talked about this last week. Repent and be baptized. Repent because you're a sinner. Be, bap- be baptized as a symbol that you are forgiven as an act of obedience. I don't know if you've ever asked the question, why was Jesus baptized then? Because of all the people who ever walked the planet, whoever, whoever was alive, whoever breathed, Jesus was the only person who was not a sinner. He was perfect. He didn't need to repent. And there was no need for him to be baptized. So why did he do it? Because the whole point of baptism was it was a response of giving, of repenting of your sins as a response to being baptized to identify yourself that you have repented with your sin. And so the, the, the account, we have an account in Matthew that shows us kind of some of the other, other pieces of what's going on here. This is what I love about the Bible and the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you have, it's the harmony of the Gospels where you see, you have the same events but you have them told in different perspectives. Not all the same events, but the ones that are there, there's a harmony, and you see that they are told at a different perspective. So look at why Jesus would baptize out of Matthew chapter three. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. John the Baptist was saying, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And do you come to me? In other words, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. 
It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus, at that moment, he was saying, it's, it's, I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. But I don't understand that. This is what was happening. One, Jesus was baptized to set an example for us. Should be on your notes there. Jesus was baptized to set an example for us. In other words, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to repent and be, and be baptized, I'm going to show you this is how you do it. And this is how you are baptized. And Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That means he did it because that is what he was establishing for new believers. As you follow me, you will be baptized. He was setting an example for you and me to follow. And baptism all, all throughout the New Testament, it's important. It's an important part of the gospel. Jesus never ministered. He never performed a, a miracle or began his ministry until after he was baptized. This, this was important in the establishment of Jesus' ministry. And, and it's important to us as well in our journey with God. His last command, this is how important it was, his last command to the disciples after he, he, uh, he rose from the dead and he, he hung out with them for several days. And, and before he ascended, his last command to the disciples was go into all the nations, make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And actually, the newborn church in Jerusalem, that after, the, after um, Jesus ascended, the day of Pentecost came, the church was exploding. The church was not going to, to the Greeks or to Romans or any of that. Yeah, the church was growing and pulsing in Jerusalem. Somewhere around 200,000 people were a part of the church in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus after the day of Pentecost. I mean, this was the, the, the message of the newborn church after Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, rose again was this. Look at Acts chapter 2. This is what they were preaching. Repent and be what? Baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved on the southern steps of the temple and baptized because baptism is important, very important of our journey with God through his son, Jesus Christ. This isn't something just the church to say, hey, let's just, let's, let's just dunk people in water. They, we didn't come up with the idea. Jesus did. The father did. It was his idea. And Jesus said, I'm your example. If you follow me, this is what I want you to do. And so baptism is a, it's a symbol for our salvation. And there are a lot of well-meaning believers that believe baptism is necessary for salvation. But I'm telling you, real quick, it is not necessary for salvation. We believe that a person is saved when they put their faith and receive the grace of Jesus Christ through, through faith, not by works. Because if it was by works, it means that if I chose and I got baptized and as I come out of the water, I'm saved now because I got baptized. No, because if that was the case, it would be by your works, not by the grace of God. So your decision of baptism doesn't save you. Baptism in the water doesn't save you. The power of the forgiveness of God is in the blood of Jesus, not in the tub of the water. Amen? And so baptism, it's a beautiful symbol, though, 
of what has happened in your life, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It also symbolizes your new life that you live in Jesus Christ. And so here's the beautiful picture of it. The water is a picture of the grave. And you go under the water, that pictures that your old life is gone. There's a, a baptism joke, depending on how much sin is in your life, depends on how long we hold you under the water. But that's not the case. That's not the case. <clears throat> Actually, there's a funny joke. I didn't say this in the first, um, the first service, but I'll say it now. There's um, St. Patrick, who was a, a missionary. He was captured from his, from his home in England. He was taken over to Ireland through a series of dreams. He escaped, went back to England, and God spoke to him to go back to Ireland, be a missionary to those that he used to be a slave to. Incredible story. You should read the full story one day. It's just not about green leaf, clovers, and green beer. I promise you it's more than that. But St. Patrick was baptizing um, a Celtic king at the time. And so, and, and I guess he used to have a huge staff. This is a true story. And when he baptized the king, he unknowingly shoved the, uh, the end of the staff into the king's foot. And it actually punctured his foot. He baptized him and he brought, he brought him up. And, uh, and, and he realized, I've, I've been stabbing the king in the foot. And so he pulls it out of the, guy's, the king's foot. He says, sir, why didn't you say anything? He goes, I just thought it was a part of baptism. I didn't know. So, Anyway, but baptism is important. It's a symbol of our salvation. And symbols are powerful, but in all reality, baptism is about your obedience to follow Jesus, to be an obedient follower of Jesus. You're identifying yourself with Jesus, with the one who has saved you. And Jesus was baptized as an example for us and if you haven't been baptized, let me encourage you. In April, we're going to be doing a baptism service. You can get online at faith.church slash baptism. And all you need to know is right there. And you can sign up for baptism. And so this, but this is, this is what was happening. Jesus was setting an example for us. And this is what we can learn from him, that he wants us to be baptized. The second incredible thing that happened to Jesus, and we can learn from it, is his father affirmed Jesus out loud. So we read in there that God affirmed Jesus. So why was Jesus publicly affirmed by God? I don't know if you've ever thought of that or not. Why was this necessary? If God always did things with intent, if he never just, just did things just because, he does, he does everything to give direction to us in our lives, what was Jesus, why was Jesus publicly affirmed by God? What can we learn from that? And I believe that's, that's actually threefold. And the first one is this. God was letting us know, us who are reading this today and the people present, what he thinks about his boy Jesus. He loves him. He's passionate about his son. And there's Jesus. And, he, and, and God was, was letting us know as we read this today, God the Father adored his son, Jesus Christ. Another thing that he was also doing, which is not on your, on your notes, that God was letting Jesus know what he thinks about him. The Father was speaking over Jesus. He was speaking to Jesus. The Bible says as Jesus was coming out of the water, heaven was torn open, which actually this is a fulfillment of prophecy from a passage in Isaiah, but we don't have time to look at that. And the Spirit descended on him, on Jesus, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son. That's my boy right there. There he is, whom I love. And with you, I'm so pleased. And God was affirming his son. 
But also what was happening, God was, was giving an identity to his son Jesus. He was, he was identifying, that's my son. That's the, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. That's the one. You better listen to him. And what's interesting about, about Jesus is that there's a lot of cults and false religions that they take, um, a, a small, they take a truth about Jesus and they tweak it just a little bit. And that's why it makes cults hard to decipher from because it sounds like, well, yeah, you say, you say Jesus is a, is a good guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, you said Jesus, you believe that Jesus died for the sins. Oh, okay. Well, then we must be the same. But as you get further in their identification of Jesus, the details, you realize something's off just a little bit. It's, it's, like, it's like this, like just a little bit, which then creates room for craziness. Muslims actually believe Jesus was a prophet, like Moses. They actually believe he was also born of a virgin. So that's why when you interact, we think, oh, well, well, you respect Jesus too. My only thought is that if Jesus was the prophet and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, um, they would think, okay, then I should probably follow you. But anyway, that's another discussion. But they believe that he never went to the cross. He never rose from the dead. To others, a lot of people think Jesus, and you'll find this today in our, in our culture, you know, Jesus was a good guy, man. He, he taught really good stuff, and he was kind of like Confucius, you know, just love. And then after you read what he says, and you go, hmm. But that's actually not true either. The, the truth is he was a good guy. But here's the deal. He was the son of God. He was fully God and fully man. This is what he's, this is what Jesus, this is what God is saying here. <clears throat> you need to understand that, that Jesus came and God says he's the one. He is the one. And I know it's hard today in our culture to think, no, no, you just can't say there's one way to heaven. I mean, if God's a God of love, I, but you would think he would, he would make a bunch of ways. What, what do you mean? He is a God of love and he made a way. He made Jesus. Jesus is the gate. If you pass through Jesus, you get to God. If you don't pass through Jesus, you don't get God. What do you mean God is horrible and mean? He created a gate for you to pass through. But, and we're like, yeah, but I don't want that gate. Well, too bad. That's the gate God provided. That's it. And, and so for some reason, you know, our world rationalizes around all this, all this other kind of stuff. But Jesus provided the gate. The gate's narrow. You got, you got to pass through Jesus. And here's a, it's Jesus isn't the keeper of the gate. He is the gate. He is the gate. And so we need to understand this is what God was identifying. Yes, it's tough in a world that says, oh, Jason, you, you, can't, you can't make absolutes. Well, God does it all the time through his word. And so if he says it, we should probably obey it. And so this is, this is what God was saying about his son. I love him. He's the Messiah. He's the one. Listen to him. And so here we have God given Jesus his identity to others and to Jesus. And actually God spoke from heaven three times. I just want to look at these real quick. From heaven. Three times a voice from God came from heaven. At his baptism, 
God spoke directly to Jesus. The second occasion, God spoke about Jesus. One day, Peter, James, and John went up to this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they went up there. Jesus was transformed before their eyes. He was talking to Moses and Elijah. And on on this occasion, God said this out of Matthew 17. He said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, he was speaking to Peter, James, and John. Listen to him. Follow him. And so then it was, it, then it was like this, the voice came and they heard it. The third time God spoke was in the days right before the cross. Jesus was predicting his death. And he was, he was praying to the Father, and he was praying that the Father would be glorified through his suffering and through his life. And Jesus prayed out loud, and he said, Father, glorify your name through my obedience. And then in John 12, it says this, then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it and said, it had to be thunder. Others said an angel had spoke to heaven. Jesus said this voice was, from, was for your benefit, not mine. So here we have God going out of his way to affirm. So what can we learn from this? What, is, what can we learn why, about why God affirmed Jesus? First, we learn this. One, when God speaks, you need to listen to him. When, when you read this word, my friends... Do not highlight the stuff you like with the yellow and highlight the other stuff you don't like with the black Sharpie. <laughs> Listen, I know, I know we live in a world that its values of almost everything are contrary to this. That's not God's problem. That's the world's problem. This is not the problem. I hope you understand that. This is not, we we don't apologize for what is in here. We uphold this with grace and love and truth. In other words, when God speaks, we obey it. It's what he's called us to do. Every word in this book is for our, it's for our, our to be taught, it's for us, we, it can rebuke us, it can, it can give us direction, it can heal us, it can set us free, and as what we're going to learn, it helps us fight the enemy. There's another application, though, I, I want to make for us as parents and what we learn from God. God is a perfect heavenly father, and we know that he's perfect. He, he's, he, he, he demonstrates perfection of his love, his affection, his kindness, how he speaks to his son. And he gives us a great pattern for parents to follow. And this is what I believe. I believe that God was also setting an example for parents of the need to affirm your children. You need to affirm your children. God the Father took these opportunities to brag on his son. Not once, not twice, but three times. And, and you know where he did them? Publicly. Now, some, some of us grew up with this notion that it's our jobs as parents to make sure our, our children never have any sense of pride and that I'm always angry at them. That is wrong. Ma, I, and for you moms and dads, for all of us, one of the worst things you can do is to criticize your children 
in front of their friends and their community to teach them a lesson. Let me say this, humiliation will never bring forth good fruit in your children. It'll never do it. One of the best things you can do is tell them how much you love them, tell them that you're proud of them. And let me just challenge all of us today, if you could measure the ratio of how much you you speak down to your children, you emotionally manipulate them, you show frustration or anger or they, they, you, you, always, you always withhold your approval and affection and love to them based on their performance. And you measure that with the amount that you praise them, the amount that you tell them that you're proud of them, the amount that you show affection to them, the amount that you love them. If, if, if that is out of balance and you speak this negative over, if your children know you as the one who degrades them, let me tell you something You're not following the example of your heavenly father. You're not. And I just want to encourage you. Listen, I'm not not a perfect parent. Just ask my children. They will tell you. But what I do try to do for them doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I do this. I try to tell them that I'm proud of them. I tell them, listen, I'm proud of of the young man you're becoming. But Jason, you don't know my kids. They got so much stuff going. Oh, yeah. Look at, the, you look, look at the screwed up look on your face while you're saying that. You've got some problems too. But the Father doesn't correct you by humiliating you. He corrects you by loving you, by shaping you, by calling out in you your potential, by speaking of what he sees in you that you don't see in yourself. And children need their, their parents to say in the middle of, hey, listen, yeah, you, you are, instead of you are a stubborn stubborn, you're like donkey to say, you know what? You're pretty persistent. And if you will direct that in the right direction, you'll change the world. If you don't, it'll destroy you. But I see that in you. That's, that's, I'm really proud of that if you will channel it in the right direction. Speak over your children what you're proud of. Speak over your children what, what you're seeing. Them. Speak over their children. And, and, and so that when they're around you, they actually want you to talk to them. So many parents, oh, my, my kids don't want me to talk to them. Most of the time it's because all you do is tell them how horrible they are. So why would they want you to talk to them? My children don't want to be around me. Well, why have you created an environment where your children actually want to be around you? And this is what we learn from the father. He was setting an example for parents of the need to affirm your children. Hey, you're my boy. You're my girl. I love you. I'm so proud of what you're becoming. I'm so proud that how you handled that. Man, I'm, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in your life. Listen, you, I will tell you this. When I was a young man, I was probably around 12 years old, there was this vis- visiting preacher that came to our church. And I walked by, said hi to him. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and he says, well, you're a man of God, aren't you? I thought, well, I never thought of that. And I thought, well, I guess I am. But it did something in my life. And so call out of your kids what they don't see in themselves. And so, listen, you might think, but Jason, my kids are grown up. It's too late. Listen, Jesus was 30 when God was affirming him. He was 30. You can still pick up the phone. You can still get on FaceTime. You can send an email. Say, hey, listen, I just want to let you know. You know what? I, I never told you enough. I'm proud of you, and I'm so grateful that you're my child. I'm so glad. Our family would not be the same without you. Anyway, love you. Listen, don't call them up. I love you, but I wish you would stop. Don't do that. 
I love you and I'm proud of you. Let, let, let all of those other things be birthed out of relationships. Amen. All right, third thing that happened to Jesus when he was tempted. Um, actually, third thing was is he was tempted. So here's the question. Why was Jesus tempted? I don't know if you've ever asked the question before. Why was Jesus tempted? And this is, this is a real simple answer, but this is it. Jesus was tempted to show us how to overcome temptation. That's why he was tempted. The Bible says that once the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. This is very important for us to understand. Why, why did the writers of, of, of the Gospels write about this account? It must be important. So in the river, Jesus experiences the blessing of baptism. The Father speaking over him. The, the, the heavens tearing open. The voice, the, the dove, the, the glow, the shaft of light. The, the, you know, what, I don't know, whatever happened. It was amazing. But then the same spirit that ascended on him like a dove, immediately led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What does that tell us? Well, I think it tells us this. Some of your greatest spiritual challenges will come after God does something amazing in your life. Some of the greatest challenges. It might be a breakthrough in your marriage, maybe a breakthrough with your kids. And you're like, what happened? Things are going so good. The Father spoke. The, the dove ascended and now this. And then we're like, God, where are you? Just you need to remember some of your greatest spiritual challenges are going to come. Right after a spiritual blessing. Then on the other side, some of your greatest spiritual challenges are, are going to come. Right after, sorry, some of your greatest spiritual blessings are going to come right after your greatest spiritual challenge. This happened with Jesus. So he was baptized. He got tempted. After he defeated the enemy in the wilderness, he then was launched into his ministry and miracles started happening. If there are these two, these two bookends on our lives. So think about Jesus' temptation for a moment. Remember, Jesus was, he was God and fully God, fully God. All things were made through him and by him. He, I mean, he was there in the creation of the world. He was, he was present in the garden when Satan, Lucifer, tempted Eve and threw mankind into chaos. He created the universe. All things were again made through him and by him. Not only that, but all angelic beings were made through him and by him. God created the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now, here's Jesus in the desert being tempted by the one that he created, Lucifer himself. Why? He was fully God. It, it, you, you have to think, what? Well, I don't understand. I mean, if he was fully God, he, he could just snap his fingers and Satan would no longer exist. He would have disappeared forever. So why did Jesus endure 40 days of fasting and this temptation? You know Why? He did it for you. He did it for us as a, as a man. He, he, he took upon the temptations that we would face. Here's the key to the strategy against Satan. As God, Jesus could have destroyed him, but as a man, he defeated Satan by quoting the word of God. By quoting it, by speaking it, by speaking the truth. Jesus chose to use the same weapon we have available against Satan, which is called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
This is why it's, it's important that we know it. It's important that we read it. It's important that it's in our life. It's important that we preach it. It's important that we don't compromise it. It's important that we don't highlight with the black Sharpie. It's important that we do this and we let the word of God be what guides us and shapes us in our lives. We don't take this scripture and, and live that one and reject that one because we don't like it or it doesn't fit our personality. But Mark doesn't go into all the details of, of this situation in the desert of the temptation of Jesus, but Luke and Matthew, they go into it. So he's, he's, here's what happens. Satan is tempting Jesus, one, his physical needs. He's tempting him with, to, with his physical needs, suggesting he turns stones into bread, so here's, here's the story. Jesus is out there. He's been fasting for 40 days. And if you've ever fasted, listen, I get hungry after about four hours. Jesus has been going for 40 days. And he's hungry. He's weak. He's physically weak. His divinity wasn't weak. But his humanity was. He was hungry. Maybe if he was like me, when I, he gets, maybe Jesus got cranky. I don't know. But I get cranky sometimes. But he was there, and he was weak. And th- listen, and this, this just blew me away this week. I was saying, look, look what Satan tempts Jesus. He's tempting him by offering him hummus and falafel. Like, turn these, turn these stones into bread. Think about it. What, what's wrong with that temptation? I, man, that's, what's wrong with that? And so, think, so I don't, how, how is it that Satan was tempting Jesus by saying, hey, listen, Jesus, you can turn the, the stones into bread. Just do it and eat because you're hungry. But Jesus refuses because he realizes that is a temptation to get him, Jesus, from not fulfilling the purpose of why he was here on this earth. Think about this. Satan was tempting Jesus by not wanting Jesus to suffer. He didn't want Jesus to be hungry. Well, why? Why does that? That doesn't make any sense. I'll explain more about this later. But this is how Jesus combated that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says this, man does not live on bread alone. No, no, my life is not just about this humanity. My life is about a spirit man inside of me. I am fully God. But he was demonstrating to us what it means and how to overcome temptation. Then he tempted Jesus to throw himself down from the top of the temple. He took Jesus up there. He says, listen, throw yourself down. Angels will catch you. You'll be the hottest thing in Jerusalem. Man, you'll have a crusade. I mean, everybody will find, they'll buy your books. You'll be awesome. If you will do that, everybody will love you. Well, what does Jesus know about why he came? He didn't come as a ruling king. He came as a suffering servant. He knew that the people that he came to save were going to be the people who would reject him. His friends, some of his family, the ones that he grew up around, they were going to reject him and curse him and whip him to the edge of his life, drag him through the mud and the dirt, and they would, they would curse his name, and they nail him to a tree. And at that moment, Satan offered him, hey, how about this? If you'll toss yourself down, angels will catch you, and all of those people who are going to reject you and hate you, they'll love you. He was playing to, to his human idea of acceptance. And Jesus combated that temptation with Deuteronomy 6.16. He says, do not put the Lord your God to test. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to obey the word, not what my flesh wants, but obey what the word says. Then Satan tempts Jesus' humanity in need for the wealth 
of the world. He says, listen, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you the wealth of the world. Here's Jesus. He understands. Listen, he, he, was, he sat at the right hand of the Father. Everything, everything was available to him now as Jesus is fully man. He wasn't on the gold streets of heaven anymore. He was the son of a carpenter. He didn't have all the, all the nice things at his disposal. So Satan says, how about this, man? You don't have to suffer anymore. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. And then Jesus responds to him again, quoting Deuteronomy 6, fear or worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm going to obey what the word of God says. Now, think about this before we get into this. The one thing that Satan did was trying to not get Jesus to suffer. You're hungry? Make some food. They're going to reject you. If you'll do this, I'll make sure they love you. You're used to the wealth of heaven. If you'll come, if you'll just bow down, I'll give it all to you. You won't have to suffer, Jesus. Now you tell me, what was the whole purpose why Jesus came to the earth? Was to suffer. It was to suffer. The will and the plan of God was for Jesus to suffer in whose place? Your place. Our place. You, you, Jason, you mean that you mean that that God's will and plan for Jesus was to suffer? Yeah. And Satan's temptation was to get him, to, was to derail the purpose and the plan of Jesus, which was to suffer. So what, what, what do we learn from that? This is what we learn. Satan is after you as well. And his temptation is going to be tailored to you to get you off course so you will not fulfill the purpose and the will of God. Which means this, the temptations are different all in this room. But God created you. He made you with a purpose. He formed you. There's, he put you on this earth to accomplish something. And Satan's temptation is going to be to get you off course. Imagine all the disciples. They, they, they travel. They, they preach the gospel. They were on ships that, that, that shipwrecked. And for Paul, the snake bit them. And he shook it off in a fire. And I mean, somewhere along the way, they could have said, you know what? We're just going to stay here. And just pastor this church and just be comfortable and just, I, you know, we're in the Greek Isles. I mean, who doesn't want to be in the Greek Isles, you know? I mean, this is nice. And Satan could have whispered in the ear at night, listen, you've been through a lot. Maybe you should just stop. Unless you still preach the gospel. You, you can do all those things. You know what? I think that might be the Lord. That's why you need, to, you need to understand how God created you, how he made you, how he shaped you. That your call on your life, it's going, to be, it's going to be tested by Satan. It's going to be tested. For some of my friends, for people that I know who are pastors... And for me, 
We battle with the temptation of the enemy. And I'll just be honest with you, it's, there's always feelings of inadequacy, not enough, never enough. You're not called, not anointed, not smart enough, not strategic enough, not a great, great enough leader, not a... And this, the enemy tempts us, or tempts me. Because of the beauty that I see in the church... And I want to see the church grow. I want to see it succeed. I want to see people's lives changed. And it's so valuable to me. The enemy says, you're not good enough to hold it. You should move on. Then he'll use somebody, well-meaning people, to come and tell you how lousy you are. And you feel the, the humanity. But what breaks through the darkness, the dark soul of your night, is the Father who says, Son, what matters is what I think. Follow me. You're going to have the dark soul of your night, the greatest temptation. It may not be the temptation of wealth. It might be the temptation of escape. It may not be the temptation of of an adulterous affair, but it might be, but it may not be. The temptation will be just stay in the marriage and don't try anymore. See, you're faithful. No, no, you're not trying. You've given up. Whatever the temptation is, we need to know what God has called us to do, to become. And it's the Father's voice that we long for. That's why we need the Word. When Satan tempts you, he is after the reason why God put you on this earth. He is desiring to derail you. We are in a battle, my friends. The kingdom of God advances by force. We are in a battle. And God has called you to do battle. But there are things that are tempting you. Maybe maybe you're good with money. Maybe you're good with with business. And you begin, all of a sudden, God's blessing your business. God's blessing all that you have. and, And all of a sudden, you get into, how, how does the enemy tempt you? He says, you know what? You deserve that. You've worked hard. Well, that was your purpose. God put you on this earth to, to create finances to fund the kingdom. And now all of a sudden, how is he going to tempt you? He's going to tempt you just to spend it on you, spend it on other things. And you'll find that all of a sudden your finances have derailed. And all of a sudden you're spending on everything but what God put you on this earth to spend it on. That's just one. All of us. I mean, there's tons of things here. And I just want to encourage you, my friends. Satan will tempt you. But if you'll hold true to the Word of God, you can combat it. You can come against it. You can fight it. And you can come on the other side victorious. Just Not just because of the Word of God, but because of the power of the Spirit that is within you. He baptized you to overcome the 
the, the temptations of the enemy, the sins of the world, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And so in the middle of it, when you're facing there and you're hearing every voice or God's using people to come against you and tell you what you're not or what you are, listen, you need to ground yourself and you need to say in the name of Jesus, I claim my mind and the voices that I'm hearing. I want every one of my desires, I want my intentions, I want my reactions, all of them to God, I submit them to you. I refuse to be tempted to get off course of what God put me on this earth to be and to become. And you begin to walk in that. You begin to just just delight in that. You begin to, to fight that and just walk in the power of the Spirit in and over your life. Because we as a congregation, you as a family, whatever that may be, God has great things for you. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.